<laughs> Go for it. <laughs> you started to say something. What you? What were you saying, Paul? Well, let's talk about uh, how one starts an enterprise architect role in a new company. <laughs> Uh, I mean, hopefully the same way everybody starts any role with a new company by figuring out the lay of the land a bit, mm. right? While I like to jump in with both feet whenever possible, I think it's uh, I think it's often smart to I think it's often smart to start off with uh, you know learning where the company's at, how the business works, how it makes money, how it spends money. Yep, and you know, uh, create a maturity model, like. Mm. I'm a big fan of, of, you know, create a report card so you know where you're at before you try to figure out where you, where, where you can go, right? Because right. making assumptions isn't going to get anybody anywhere. And, uh, you know, if you find out you've been collecting data for 10 years and aren't doing anything with it, that's probably a good place to start. Mm -hmm. So that's starting a role anywhere. Uh, yeah, I kind of don't care what the role is, right? Um, uh, you know, if it's tech support and you're starting on the help desk, Right. What's the maturity of the organization? Um, and really, how do they make money? What products do they sell? Right. Um, what are the five most used applications by the people that you're supporting? Right. It's going to be it's going to be tremendously different if you're supporting your end customer, for instance. Right. Um, where you're going to have a mix of operating systems, you're going to have a mix of hardware, you're going to have a mix of all kinds of stuff um, versus, you know, it's within the organization. Right. If I was starting on help desk and just internal help desk, I would the very first thing I would want to know is uh, what's the end user support policy of as far as operating systems and hardware. Am I supporting BYOD, or am I supporting an all Mac environment? Right? How how federated are we? Can you imagine calling the help desk and having Howard answer the phone? <laughs> It'd be like the the tech guy on Saturday Night Live. Move. <laughs> Actually, we already started the episode, so I think that is cool to start the episode with something else. So, welcome <laughs> to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. So, we have our two co hosts, Howard Holt and Apollo. <laughs> hey, guys. Yeah. Hey, Carlos. So it's interesting that we were talking about something different today, but I think that is very appealing to a lot of people. We talk about leadership, and a lot of times we have seen that people switch roles. They have to go from one place to another one within the organization, outside the organization. And I think our topic today is like, how do you start correctly a new role? I think it's a great topic, right? Um, I think if we look around, we've seen the the most amount of layoffs in one year, I think in history, mm -hmm. right, with COVID. Um, and, and while we've had some recovery from that, um, we're still seeing a lot of layoffs within the technology sector. Um, we're seeing a lot of movement within the technology sector. And I think one of the things that, that Paul and I talked on last, talked about last year a lot was um, if your company is not a tech forward company, right? If you haven't determined that, that you're a tech and supply chain company, you're likely to be acquired. And so we're starting to see a lot of M&A work. We're seeing a tremendous amount of M&A work. And, and, and in a lot of the companies that I'm talking to, um, they're not only completing M&A work from last year, but they're really looking to, to double down in 2021 
because it looks like there's going to be a bunch of bargains on the, on the market. All of that means there's going to be a whole lot of change. So I think it's a really good time to talk about kind of, you know, what is your advice for starting a new job? And maybe, maybe some of that is, you know, what's your advice for interviewing? Mm. Right. Um, and, and how does, how does maybe some of it fly in the face of, of other advice that's being read or being distributed? Right. Um, for instance, I, I think hiding your salary needs and playing games is stupid. And I think that's, I think both directions, right? Um, as a hiring manager, I never hesitated to tell someone the, the pay band ever, not for one second, right? right? Um, and, and I'll generally lead with the pay band tops out at and a dollar amount. Who, who needs a range, right? right? What's okay. the most you're gonna pay? Well, that's the most I'm gonna pay, <laughs> right? Um, what's the 80th percentile? This is what I expect to pay someone in the 80th percentile. I'm not hiring below the 80th percentile, so I don't care, right? right? Um, and then vice versa. If someone asks me, what, what is your expected salary range? I tell them, right? I'm very honest about it. Um, and, it and it always happens in the first call. Do you try to trick them by uh, making them tell you their number first? No. And then if it's so low, you consider that a win? No. no. Uh, why, right? Every, I just, I'm not a big fan of the game, right? You can either hit my number or you can't hit my number. And if you can't hit my number, let's get it out of the way. So that's an interviewer perspective. How about an interviewee perspective? How often are, how often are you actually asked before um, you ask? Um, and then do you low ball, medium ball or high ball when you answer? Um, no, I always ask based, or I, I always answer based on um, the market value, right? Um, and I will be, I will also be honest on my flexibility. Right. Right. So, um, for this role, I'm aiming for $160,000 base. Um, I have some flexibility in the bonus percentage, um, but I really don't have any flexibility in the base. Um, and I tend to, that tends to be my response in general anyhow. Um, and, and my, my preference, because what I like to do is aim for team members who are all based the same. And then bonus based on their exceptional addition to the team. Right. Right. That's my goal. Um, and, and Carlos, you should know that from working with me. I think we had that conversation many times. So right. that you're very direct. And I like that when, when you talk to someone, Paul mentioned something interesting that I want to get into it. So if you have an idea of the person that you're going to hire and you're seeing what they bring, but what if in their previous role, they were not making as much? Do you keep them a little bit more than their previous role? So let's say you just mentioned, hey, I'm hiring for this role, 160, I'll give you 115. You just no, go. Not ever. Not ever. I'm not paying you based on your previous role. I'm not paying you to do what you did at your last job. What you, what you made at your previous role has nothing to do with the job you're filling. And I've, I've never had any appreciation for that question. I actually find it kind of insulting. Yeah. I, somebody mentioned I 100 percent agree. Like it, yeah. it does not matter what your current salary is, <laughs> as compared to this role, for lots of reasons. So, reason number one, this could in fact be a jump for you, and that's okay. Maybe you're at the stage for it to be a jump, but it also could be um, a transitionary period for you to do something else in your career, and maybe that means going back a little, or going the same, or in some relatively degree the same, right? Within three percent. Um, or you're going to lose money by 
However, there's a future advantage of 50% by, by other roles I might create for you. So, so it almost doesn't matter what your previous roles were. The question is, are you comfortable with this compensation for this role? Correct. So how do you see that then the, the hiring managers ask that question? Because that's, that's a question that is asked a lot, sometimes even in the submission process. I think it gets asked because we're dumb. Right. I think there's a lot that's done in the in the interview process because we're dumb, not because we're we're overly smart. And and one place where we're dumb is is as and I can't really speak to other cultures, but it seems to be similar for other cultures. But as kind of the Western mind, we don't talk about money. Right. As a matter of fact, it is considered gauche, it is considered rude, it is considered crude to talk about money. Right. Um, which personally and, and it could just be me, right? It could be the way I think. I, I think that's a scam to keep people from discussing whether everyone on the team is receiving fair compensation. Right. right? The it's hiding is, your faults when you, when you force that communication. Uh, yeah, I think so, right? I, I always encouraged everybody, talk about it, I don't care, right. right? And if you're talking to someone and you feel that your pay is, un, is unfair, you come talk to me and we'll talk about it, right? right? It doesn't mean you're gonna get a raise. But what it does mean is every single, and I had it happen a lot because I really, I was really serious about encouraging it. And every now and again, you'd get someone that came in your office and they'd be like, um, hey, uh, everybody else is five, 10, 15, 20% higher than I am. Or this one person is out of band, right? right? Why did they make so much more? And I want to make that much. It's not fair. Right. And, and rarely, but it does happen. Um, I look at it and go, oh crap, this was a big miss on my part. I apologize. Let me see how, let me see how quickly I can fix this. Okay. Sometimes it's something different, right? Sometimes it's, I have no, no choice. Like, like I, I can't affect that right now, but it's on the top of my list when I get the opportunity to affect it. And then the third option is you're being paid appropriately. And let me explain to you why. Mm -hmm. And then let's talk about what you can do to give me what I need to give you more money. And that third one is, is I would say the 70th, the, the 70%, right? 70% of the time I'm paying someone properly for their current skill set, And if they want to earn more, I can help develop a plan for you to earn more. And this is what that plan looks like. This is what the timing for that plan looks like, right? This is, I'm setting an expectation and, and giving you an expectation at the same time, right? Achieve this certification, gain this knowledge, take over this project, whatever it, you know, whatever it happens to be. I, I always use the uh, teacher-student analogy, right? To say, uh, I'm a single teacher in this classroom and all my students are peers. Um, however, I don't give everybody the same grade because they all contribute differently. I'm not saying that I should pay you less and therefore you're a D student. I'm saying that there's a variety of pay with even, even within the same classroom. Now, grade five, grade six, grade seven, grade eight, as you add more experience, you're likely get, going to get paid more just based on gaining the experience through this organization or through your career. So if I'm hiring somebody in this classroom who has 25 years experience and you're just graduating, even though you have the same title, that person is likely going to be paid more just based on the amount of years they've been in the industry, right? So there are perfectly reasonable reasons why people might be outside of the band, outside of the scale, um, even if those reasons are simply heritage or legacy, For sure. right? They were employee number three and therefore they make the most. Oh, okay, it is what it is. 
that doesn't mean I'm going to bring everybody up to that range. It means I know that there's an anomaly, that anomaly will exist for as long as that person's employed here, and it is what it is. But, but we'll have a conversation about the anomaly, I think is the most important, right? We're not going to hide the anomaly. We're not going to put it on the shifting sands of time, right? We're not going to deflect. We're going to be really, really direct about why the anomaly exists, whatever the reason happens to be. And most of the time, there's something that we can do to... The problem isn't that someone makes more money. The problem is someone feels it's unfair. Right. So let's talk through the fairness which generally comes down to, I don't feel like I'm making as much as I should. And let's determine what can be done, what act, action the, the individual can take to earn more money, right? Even if that doesn't bring them to parity with that other person, like your example, right? Um, you have nine months experience, they have 25 years experience, that parity is likely never to exist, right? Because when you have 10 years, they have 35 years, right. et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, in 10 years, I don't want them in the same position regardless of who it is, right? right? So, so the goal is, is really to kind of, kind of put people in a situation where they start thinking about their career and the management thereof. I can tell you the most difficult conversation I have is actually with that above band person, right? That above band person who wants to be paid more, there's nowhere to go. Like, right. yeah, I can't pay you more because you're significantly above band. Therefore, your choices are discovering a new role in this organization that puts right. you in the appropriate band, right? G gain more skills to allow you to elevate through this organization or choose alternative employment, right? There's, there's not much more that can get done other than, you know, cola changing. Uh, but I, I also find that that always comes about by poor personal career management which is something that, that should be first and foremost in everyone's mind. Everyone that listens to this podcast really should be thinking about career management, yep. right? Um, where am I today and what are my opportunities? What are my options that I can work for for tomorrow, right? And tomorrow is simply a period forward in time. Um, and, and I do find that, that to be a big problem. Um, I remember it's been more than a decade now, but... Um, but it was after I left Verizon plus a couple places, right? Um, and I got hit up by a former coworker who said, "Hey, Howard, um, I know you. You know you've left Hitachi. I hope you remember working with me. Um, but I'd really, I'm looking for a new role, and I'd really like some help." And I said, "Sweet. It's been, I don't know, four years, five years, six years, maybe since we worked together." Yeah, um, so, so I no longer have an appreciation for your current skill set. And that's what I said, right? My assumption is in six years, your skills are no longer remotely related to what they were before. Right. And he said, well, you know, um, I, you know, I've been doing the same thing at Atachi or I mean at, at Verizon since we last spoke, um, since we worked together, uh, which was desktop tech. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I've got a, I'm, I'm an expert at everything Microsoft. That was the, the response. And I said, well, there's two problems. First, I don't do the same thing that I did six years ago, nor should anybody else. So, so that's a red flag for me. And two, Microsoft makes, I don't know, 1,200 products. Right. Um, I know for a fact you're not an expert in all 1,200 of those products. Right. So neither of those pieces of information are actually helpful for me and give me the ability to, to, to turn to one of my now peers, right? Being, being in, in, I think it was a VP at the time. I, none of those give me the ability to turn to one of my peers, people in the CIO seat or vice president seat and say, hey, 
Um, I've got a friend that spent 25 years as a desktop technician. Would you like to hire that person? They're all going to say no. Right. And that's for exactly what you're talking about, right? Because that person's income demands are going to exceed band on what you would pay a desktop technician and they're going to have nowhere to go. And they've shown by their unwillingness to manage their own career that they don't also have any any interest in moving beyond that skill set and thus moving moving into you know a band that makes more sense for their ask right the obvious exception of course is the you know variable based team members right like salespeople, right they for, i for would sure. expect to hire a 25 year salesperson <laughs> and their pay has gone from zero to a million dollars you know fluctuates over that 25 year period of time yeah, but technologists 100% agree. Um, I have known and have led multiple technologists with 25, 35, 45 years in the exact same role. They've wanted this role. They've never wanted to elevate out of this role. They are the grizzled veterans in this role. But I've also had to set the expectation that they've met their ceiling. Right? There isn't any further they're going to go compensation-wise other than COLA, and they have to be satisfied with that. If you're satisfied with your role, then you're satisfied with your compensation. Correct. Correct. Right. As long as you're, as long as you're fine with that spot, like if band is, I'm going to use desktop technician, right? Because band for desktop technician tends to top out at 60 to 65,000. Right. Right. If you're okay with 60 to 65,000, I'm not saying you have to move beyond that. I'm not saying you have to take a job or a role that you're not going to be happy with. Right. But it is part of the picture. Right. If you're not happy with the contents of the picture, you need to change the picture. And one of those things is remuneration. If you're not happy with what your total pay package looks like, then you have to change something and you can't expect your employer to go, well, I guess for you, the role is worth 80 grand to me because it's not. It's worth 65. That's what we've decided the top of the band is. I, I like Carlos line of questioning here. So so beyond salary, what other things have been asked either in the application or in the interview that you feel is outdated? that they shouldn't be asking or it doesn't seem necessary to be asking going forward or even today in today's world. Um, oh God. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that gets, that gets, I think asked and or moved around. Right. Um, I, I think the second you bring up dollars and cents, you have to talk about the total package. Right. Um, and hiding, um, Hiding soft money in total comp, I think, is also a cop out. Mm. Right? Um, I was interviewing with a with a what is it NAACP company or NAACF, I think, whatever it is. F. What's the uh, acronym, Carlos? What, do you, what is the company do? It's Netflix, yeah. Amazon, Apple. Oh, I don't. Who were the other two? Uh, the big. It's the big five, right? Facebook yeah. and. Who's yeah, I, I know what, you, what you're talking about. Um, anyways, anyways, I was interviewing with one of those guys. Um, and as part of, the, as part of the, the application process, they ask you to put down what your expected compensation is. Mm -hmm. So I put down my expected compensation. They're like, that's the top of the band. Like, we can do that. It's just the top of the band. And I said, okay, fine. Like, is that, is that TC, in, does that include stock options? Right. Yes, that includes stock options. Okay, cool. I'm no longer interested in the role. Right. And they're like, wait, I don't understand. I, that's not cash. I can't do anything with your stock options because it requires three years before they vest. Plus, I know for a fact you consider the growth in the stock options in conversations about future remuneration. 
I see. So in my end of year review, when we're doing annual reviews and you're trying to figure out how much of a raise, if any, I get, how much my stock options matured affects your decision. I'm no longer interested. <laughs> right. Right. Why? Because I can't, I, I don't actually affect the stock. And I can't spend the stock. It doesn't pay my bills. It doesn't put my kid through college. It doesn't put me through college, right? It doesn't do any of the things that are my goals other than boost my um, retirement, which is what every company's 401k does. And you know what I've never had a conversation with? I've never had an employer go, in your review this year, we've given you fives out of five all across the board. You're absolutely the top. However, our 401k performance this year was really good. So we've determined that's enough. That's right. <laughs> we've limited your right. gains. And yet the big five, will, some of the big five at least will do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Some of them look at that and they go, and, and it's exactly the same conversation, even though they don't frame it the same way. And, and for me, what that says is my, my contribution therefore matters less right. rather than more. My performance matters less rather than more. I want to be rewarded for being exceptional. And I want that opportunity. And if you're not going to give me that opportunity, I'm not going to bother. It's funny that you mentioned that because sometimes they tell you, well, you can put on your resume that you work for us and that will be a boost. Right. That has intrinsic value. I'm like, uh, so if I work for someone else and I do a good job, that doesn't value at all? Yeah. I mean, they actually have a point, and I think it's I think it's also a poor point, right? Um, let's look at Amazon as an example because they're the whale. Yeah. yeah. One point two million employees. As a hiring manager, I kind of have less interest in you now if you worked at Amazon. Why? Because they have one point two million employees. Yeah. You're a cog. What is, yeah. Right. You're a cog in a wheel, and 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 I'm not saying that that it's bad, but. What is the breadth of knowledge you could possibly gain working at Amazon? 1.2 million employees. Everything is super narrow. Right. Right. I don't have any deep jack of all trades, which I would find in, in the mid-market, right? In the mid-market, I'm going to find someone that, that worked on the three pillars, kind of all the three pillars, or was so deeply involved in one that they know it completely end to end, probably better than the manufacturer's engineering team. Which right? leads to the the pet peeve I have on applications, which is at an incredibly detailed listing of the technical skills you have. In fact, I've seen applications that effectively have to select and subselect, you know, hundreds of potential skills that you have in a technical uh, certification way and list those. Um, and then even worse, how many years? How many years do you know AWS? How many years have you done this? How many years have you done that? as if that's a relevant pers perspective of whether you actually have acumen in that particular technical skill set. And they require it as a mandatory before you press submit. And I'm assuming that their algorithms now go through that ranking based on how much you know or how much you've documented you know as compared to somebody else. So what's what's interesting about that is I find I've, I have found a really good way to, um, to get those filled out as fast as you want. No, in the in the either upper, if you're on a Mac, it will be the upper left-hand corner. If you're on a PC, it'll be the upper right-hand corner. There's an X. And if you click that, the application goes away and you can move on to applying it at places that matter. Frankly, <laughs> I don't think companies realize what the application, how the application process represents their culture, and they really should. That's right? true. 
the 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 fact is that that is that is the the gatekeeper to your culture. Yep. And so, how do you want your culture represented? Do you want your culture represented where uh, I'm sorry, at this company, all we do is reduce you to a list of statistics. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, that's not a place I want to work. Right. right. Especially when we know for a fact. There are far more jobs than there are qualified people for the jobs. Mm-hmm. So unless your company holds all of the jobs, right, then I know for sure I don't actually have to go through that process. I can click the X and go find someplace else to work. Right. And, and what the process from kind of November to middle of January has taught me is um, the big five do not have a lock on top pay. The big five do not have a lock on top packages, right? You're going to find a really good package somewhere else. There are some exceptions, right? If you are a top data scientist, right? You're one of the five best in the world. The chances are pretty good. The best pay is going to come from Silicon Valley. Still won't be the best, still won't be the top five. I promise it's going to be a startup. It's going to be some unicorn startup that's giving you a serious piece of equity and is going to grow from their $100 million valuation today to $5 billion valuation in five years. And you're going to get a $50 million payout from that. Right. And this remote remote office worker work from home is actually working both ways. So we've talked about the best part being that you have accessibility to a bigger talent pool. It's also true that as an individual person looking for a job has opened up your ability to work anywhere in, you know, in the country or the hemisphere. That is a dramatic shift. And now your accessibility to multiple roles that you might not have been open to before. Uh, and one of the nice things that, that, that has come out of this, because I did this a lot recently, right, is um, relocation. Mm-hmm. Relocation is still a thing. It's still going to be a thing that we, we can talk about the, the pluses and minuses in, a, in maybe the next episode. Um, but relocation has always been a thing. The problem is relocation sucks for both parties. Right. Right. Um, one, I'm likely to ignore someone that must be in my geography for whatever reason, if they're not already in my geography, or I'm going to rank them lower than someone that is in my geography. That's kind of been the default attitude, right? If I need you in, in Dallas, you better be in Dallas. If you're in Chicago, you're not in Dallas. And so I don't necessarily mind the cost, but what I do mind is there's an obligation if I've asked you to move that I might stick with you longer than I otherwise should if you're just flat out not a fit. Right. right? And that happens. Um, and then vice versa. If I relocate for a company and I find the company's not a fit for me, I'm likely to stick with it longer because I've moved away from my network. I've moved away from my carefully curated network of connections, and thus I have to rebuild them. And so I might stick with a company that I don't feel is a fit for me mm-hmm. because, well, I relocated for them. I, I, I don't have a choice. I need to give them a shot, whatever it happens to be. And, and, and the reality is those are both not the right decision, right? I'm not saying we should discard employees quickly, right? But every now and again, you get somebody that's just not the right fit, or you work at a company where it's just not the right fit, um, and the problem with traditional relocation is I've now made this massive commitment to do the most stressful thing that a person does. And yet I'm, so I'm now stuck. And, and one of the things that kind of work from home works culture has allowed us to do is say, we do have relocation, but 
we're not starting the clock yet. Right. Right. Let's make sure you're an actual fit for our culture. Let's make sure you're a fit for the environment. Let's make sure we're a fit for you. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure we're all happy and this is a long-term thing for you. And then let's relocate. Then we'll invest. Right. right? Take six months, take nine months, take a year, take 18 months, whatever it happens to be, right. and then move. Right. We're going to set an expectation, but that expectation is not tomorrow. And really smart companies that are doing that, whether they're doing it on purpose or doing it on accident, really should start thinking about, you know, can we do this on purpose? Can we make this a purposeful thing? Can we ensure that we're, you know, take whatever steps necessary to do everything we can to ensure we're getting the right people in the roles and that, you know, we're the right company for them. So we mentioned a little bit about the hiring process. Let's say that you accepted the position you went through it, you agree, or you say, yeah, to the package, you like it or not, day one, how do you start correctly on this well, new? Let's go back to, you. somebody's made an offer. Let's, okay. let's, we didn't talk about that. And I think that's all, that's another really important one. Um, there's, there's a couple things that I, that I recommend. First, um, don't ever accept an offer based on dollars. Make sure you look at the whole package. Right, um, you're Canadian, Paul. I don't know that this matters to you, but in the U.S., make sure you're looking at what your medical costs are going to be. Right, what does the insurance cost to you, and how does that compare to the insurance at the last few companies you worked at? Right, is it more expensive? Is it less expensive? Is it a better package? Is it a worse package? Right, is the the are the plans more comprehensive or less comprehensive? Right, um, do you have the options that you're looking for? That's part of compensation. Um, when they talk about vacation, how does the vacation plan match previously, right? If you have an expense account, how does that work? I'm to the point now where I ask about the tool they use for expenses. Right. <laughs> yeah, and laugh all you there want. There's no harm in asking all of these questions as part of this offer. Correct. I ask things like, what is your travel policy? Correct. At what point would I take a business class flight? Right? What are the relationships you, with you have? Do I have to stay at the Days Inn or can I actually stay at a Marriott? Right. As they matter. All of that stuff is important. Um, when you're talking about uh, travel percentage, and that's a big thing, my rule is simple. I do not take any role with travel from 25 to 50%. None. Zero. Under 25%, I don't travel enough that not having status matters. Right. 25 to 50%, you get crap status. Right. 1% to 100%, you get good status and I'll travel that. Right. Right. I like, I like like 10% travel or 75% travel. Those are the two ideal metrics, right? So, um, so when companies are like, okay, so here's the role, here's the offer and it's 25% travel. Cool. You're gonna have to pay me a lot more. Right. Because that travel is going to be difficult versus 51% travel. Then it's much more about what's your expense system. Right? How do I ensure this happens quickly? That and if you're in a poor range, you're going to have to get a premium credit card, right? You're going to have to get the $1,000 a year credit card to ensure that you have all the privileges you require to go into lounges and get upgrades and so on and so forth. Right? So that's got to be factored in. Right. So it's there's a lot more to it. And then finally, okay, you've you've gone through the interview process, you've received an offer, you're, you're okay with the offer, right? If you're not okay, you've negotiated already. Um, you, you think the offer is great. You know what you do? You still negotiate. <laughs> Don't just accept the first offer, right? Come back with anything, anything at all, right? And, and it can be as simple as 
it's a work from home 50% role. Um, my monitor sucks at home. I'd really like a monitor in the negotiation. Like, I don't care what it is, right? But you're going to feel infinitely better if you negotiate at least a little bit. And I will also tell you, there are a couple areas where negotiation is not generally possible. Hmm. One, you're not going to get an extra week of vacation. <laughs> Most of the time, the vacation policy is set on a corporate level. And I would never give someone that vacation. However, if you came to me and said, I really like the offer. However, um, experiences are the most important thing to me. And therefore, three weeks of vacation is not good. I want four. I would probably come back to you and say, um, a week of vacation is roughly 2% of pay, 52 weeks in the year, right? So it's roughly 2%. So what I will do is I'll give you a 2% higher offer, dollar amount offer, so you can take a week of unpaid vacation. I can't affect paid vacation. Right. But this way, you'll be paid for that, that you know, you'll be paid an additional 2% for that extra week. Is that acceptable? Nice. Right? But always negotiate. What's your perspective on negotiating exit upfront? Um, I don't mean a dollar figure, but I, I might mean the calculation. Like uh, for the first five years, I want to make sure it's a three week per year calculation. And after that, I want something different. Or that here are the reasons why it's accept acceptable to terminate and reasons it's not acceptable to terminate. Um, I think if you live in an area where employment contracts are a thing, I think that's great. In America, we have no employment contract. Oh, it's all and the likelihood that, that an employer is actually going to give you an, an employment contract is effectively zero. I see. Okay. Right? Um, at that point, it becomes a unique legal document. Like we don't have a system for it. it. It does become an actual employment contract that is enforceable by the weight of law. And I don't know of any, I don't know of any experienced employer that's going to agree to that. I see. Okay. So it's not a thing is what you're saying in the U.S. It's not a, it's not a thing in the U.S. <laughs> I mean, never mind. Yeah. I, 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 honestly, I wish it was, um, uh, you know, I, I think it's something politically that, that, that we should look at bringing to parity with the rest of the world. Um, but anything to do with employment rights in this country are extremely, extremely dangerous to, to consider for a politician. Right. You're likely to not get reelected. It's also like our political system also doesn't allow for simple things to be done simply. <laughs> right. I mean, if they tried to pass it, there'd be some writer that in addition to that, um, the US is also committing to building um, a bridge in Antigua, um, to funding the Mujahideen, um, and for some reason, repainting all the stripes on all of the international freeways, starting with the number one. Right. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we tack stuff on to make it so not, not simple. Um, but, but it doesn't really exist in the US. So, so between offer acceptance and start date, you might have a couple few weeks between those two. What's your best bet there? Are you taking some time off and doing nothing? Or are you intently researching this particular organization? Are you doing some certifications in preparation for it? Like what's your MO? What do you do for those two, three, four weeks? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. So I do think it's important to take some time off. It could just be one day, right? Take a day, play video games, go for a walk, take the family somewhere, go watch six movies in the movie theater. Whatever it is that you find fun, go do that. Spend spend a day, right? Take your last weekend and make it a four-day weekend, 
right? Um, and then I like to I like to look at the um, industry trends to the industry and specifically the regulatory space that I'm moving into. Mm-hmm. If you're moving into healthcare, read a bunch of stuff about HIPAA. Right. Right. If you're moving into financial services, read about customer 360, read about uh, AML law, read about, you know, whatever. Right. FINRA, right. Like there's like 25 million things in financial services. Have an appreciation for the governance that sits on top of whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, PCI would be a great one. Um, understand what the regulations are coming. If, if, if you're going to spend some time in artificial intelligence and machine learning, then I really would highly recommend taking a look at, if, if, if you're in the US and only going to deal with the US, take a look at the NIST request for comments for artificial intelligence ethics. They have a framework written already. Um, if you're in the EU, they have the same thing in the EU, right? Whatever your jurisdiction is, this is a hot topic. Read about ethics in artificial intelligence and machine learning big topic. It's really going to direct what you should and should not do in 2021 right. from that perspective. Do right? you do anything specifically for the company you're about to work with? Do you think yeah. about what a strategy might look like? Do you think it, about, it do you read more about the company itself? Do you go through all of their financials and their press releases and you, you read the LinkedIn of every single executive? Like, do you double click on the company that you're about to work for? It depends. Yeah. It depends because um, the more... The, the less I have to read about the industry, the more comfortable I am with the industry, then the more I can focus on the company I'm going to work for, right? right? Um, but I think if you don't have an appreciation for the space, then you're, you're gonna miss the nuance contained within the individual company, right? When you're trying to do that. Um, if, however, you can't really find anything on the space, you're, you're, you know, you're hitting out, I think, it's, I think it's four days, right? I think you should spend four days researching the company you're moving into. Right. What's been written about them? Who's their closest competitor? What's been written about them? What's the state of the union on the technology space? What's the regulatory space that you're moving into? Um, how do their financials look, which hopefully you've looked at long before you took the offer? Like hopefully you did that during the interview process. You went and said, are they a publicly traded company? Are they a privately held company? If they're a publicly traded company, let's listen in on some of their shareholder meetings and see what are the analysts hitting them for? Right. Right. And you need to do at least two, at least two right? Pick them a year apart or something. So you can get an appreciation for what was the change over the year, right? right. Did they hire I people? The websites people? were mostly not helpful, right? It's not helpful to uh, in double clicking the products or services or platforms. It's not helpful in, in the maturity of these solutions versus what they say their maturity is. Um, it's definitely not helpful in terms of um, how they operate, uh, like how they operate as an actual business versus how they're organized. Um, it, you can't really tell what the culture is via, you might, they, they might even have a full cultural page and still not going to tell you what the actual culture is when you're actually working there. Would you double click on things like Glassdoor to get that appreciation or assume that Glassdoor is mostly negative and therefore not really giving you a cultural perspective either? So, so I'm going to turn around and ask you a question because I don't want to, I don't want to answer, um, Right yet. Um, when you go to buy a product on uh, from Amazon, as or go to buy a product on a Careware, do you okay. check the the Amazon re- reviews, and do you only look for the five stars, or do you start with the one and two stars? Um, I look at latest. I don't look at star ratings. So I will look at the last ten percent of the reviews and base my opinion on those. 
Um, but I will also look outside of the Amazon reviews. I will look at reviews for that same product in a variety of different reviews. Sure. I start with Amazon reviews and I always go to the two stars and the three stars, not the one stars. The one stars tend to be bitter people right. versus the two and three stars are, I really tried to get this to work. And these were the shortcomings. These were the things that couldn't work, right? Um, in the same way that I do the same on Glassdoor. Like it's relatively easy to look at Glassdoor and read the reviews, not the star rating, read the reviews and see, are people bitter or are they not bitter? Right. And if they're, if they're bitter, I, it's a grain of salt kind of thing, right? Um, and, if, and at the same time, it's really easy to tell on Glassdoor when the reviews are effectively paid reviews. Right. right. When the company sent an email and said, hey, all current employees, if you could go on Glassdoor and fill it out, that'd be great. Right. right. It's not super effective and not super informational for me. Right. When somebody breaks down how this place compares to another place or the specific failings of an individual team and how the company reacted to it, like they've taken the time to really write something that's useful. Right. Right. And I'll take that wherever I can get it. I make it date-based mostly because products, teams, companies mature over time. My presumption, of course, is that they get better, but that's not always true. And therefore, the latest is more representative of what might actually be true. So if I'm buying a product, the first year of that product probably looks uh, uh, you know, ill-performed, right? It doesn't have all the features and functions that one would expect, but closer to now, it's closer to a maturity that might be relevant to me purchasing it. There's a lot of people that also that are old reviewers that do an update. And so I'll look for those too, right? Um, update, I changed it from three stars to five stars or five stars to three stars. And this is why it changed over time. Right. But I do look for those. But, 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 but yeah, to kind of to your point, but all of that research I do before we get to an offer letter standpoint. Interesting. Right. Well, Certainly for acceptance. Start. That's all pre-offer conversation. Yeah, because once I've taken the offer, I'm stuck with the culture for some length of time. <laughs> right. And I'd really like to know that beforehand. Right. Right. Um, I, I do take a look at their social and see kind of what does what their social do? Right. How active are they? What are the things they promote? What are the things they talk about? Um, and it's not, I'm not looking for them to be like super frank and, and forthright. What I'm looking for them to be is, their, their social will speak to a culture, especially the, the less tech savvy they are as a company. And so what is the culture of the social? Like, what are the things that social highlights, right? And that will often tell me a lot about the company. How do you feel about overly focused cultures? So I'm sure you've interviewed, I guarantee all three of us have interviewed with certain types of organizations that rely on their 10, 11, 12 things that define their culture and that you must have a detailed understanding of those things and have stories related to those things um, and that their culture is the center of all decisions they make. Is, <laughs> it's, it almost feels like that's a negative part of their culture, even though culture is supposed to be the central to the organization. Is that a plus minus? What do you think, Carlos? So I think that it's a good thing that they have something defined that can be a guide. But I think when you go through the process and they're trying to be so prescriptive, is that they're trying to put you like on a little box. 
-hmm. and you're not going to have no flexibility if you don't meet this criteria then you cannot excel like what howard mentioned you're not gonna you're gonna be this like cookie cutter person that you're gonna work in here and if you get out of there then you're not gonna have any other skills that you're gonna be able to go because we do this and here's what you do and you have to fit in here so i i think that now that you mentioned it that's actually even though it sounds good that we guide ourselves by these principles it feels rigid mm -hmm. that doesn't allow you for for a true growth environment that yeah we we allow these principles to permeate the organization but what are you bringing tell me something about what you're bringing and how you're going to make the organization better and it, as an interviewer i can see okay this fit this area or this other area not so rigid that has to be cookie cutter i'm more impressed with cultural evolution so it would be amazing if i'm you know i'm fine with the prescriptive 12 points that you have right now but tell me about how it was four then five then six then seven um, and it's 12 now but you think next year i'll go down to eight because you're evolving how you're thinking about how to assess individuals both individuals work there and individual candidates that you want to be able to hire in there that's far more interesting to me that's change that's evolution that's growth versus static for the last 10 years um so 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 my comment is culture culture should be a subtle thing mm. and it should be something that you're that you're proud of and that you're cautious of mm. right? the point that culture becomes these are the 12 things we expect from everyone else and we call that culture no no, no that's bureaucracy mm. right or even worse, these are the 12 things that are key to our culture, but none of that is true. We're just raving fans. That's called a cult. You've missed <laughs> your cult. And here's the book we use too. Right, right. <laughs> there, is a, there is a company that is famous for not having a CEO. Rather, they call themselves a community right. and their CEO is the mayor, right? And, and what it's supposed to do is it fosters this idea that we're all in this together and everyone has an opinion and everyone gets heard. The truth of the matter is the mayor, CEO, just says what's going to happen and everyone else is, is, is expected to ravenously follow that plan as a message from God. I see. That is a bureaucratic cult and I have no interest in it. Bureaucratic cult. <laughs> right? Um, just because it's not religious devotion, Mr. Elon Musk, does not mean that it's not a cult. And when your assistant sends out emails to the company saying, Elon sleeps in his office, why can't you do the same? We're dissatisfied with your level of commitment. That's called a cult. <laughs> right. right. Granted, both of those are, are, are really aggressive, right? Really edge case examples. Yeah. However, I don't call either of those culture. I call both of those poison, right? Right. A culture should never be poisonous and everyone has a culture. If you've never thought about it before, you still have a culture. The chances are pretty good. Your culture's not great. Right. And if it is, figure it out and protect it. Be proud of it, right? I've watched companies that had a really, really good culture that weren't aware of it. They didn't tend to it like a garden. And instead they hired they hired people that became weeds. 
And before long, what was this beautiful natural garden culture became this dead forest filled with weeds that caught on fire and burned to the ground. Right. And, it, and they didn't do it because they purposely said, what I really like is poor culture. What I really like is bureaucracy. Um, but it, it became that way because they never paid any attention to it. They didn't realize the value of culture and say, our culture is insert anything. And, and to be honest, I'd rather have someone that could define their culture than someone that cannot. And I always ask every interviewer to define the culture. And when they're all using different words, they don't have a defined culture. I have found that scale, um, the mistake in scale is creating bureaucracy and process, right? So one tends to think that if I'm trying to double my revenue, double my employees, double my, my, my contribution, that I need new bureaucracy, new process, new documents, new firewalls, new fences to support that. Uh, because I feel that the structure, the physical structure is what's going to allow me to add more people when that's in fact the opposite, <laughs> opposite approach. It is in fact none of those things. It's empowerment that actually creates scale, not process and bureaucracy. But it's easy to see why the opposite is usually the, the, the default setting. Uh, so, so I agree with that to, a, to a, about 80%. Right. I think if you have a well-defined culture and you use policy to, drive, to help drive growth through culture, right? Then, then I think policy can be used to inform action when policy is informed by culture and thus can be a very good thing and can help strengthen growth. I think when you mistake bureaucracy for culture, yep. you get the opposite effect. I, I agree with you. Policy, good. Process, bureaucracy, bad. <laughs> I think even process can be good when it exists to inform the culture and it exists to remove questions. As long right. as How do I get this thing done? Well, our process is you go to this site, you click these three buttons and then it, it happens, right? At some point I have to have process. I can't simply have everyone reaching out individually to everyone else, right? I have to have some process for some things. Yeah. But in, but, but in a lot of cases, to your point, right? Um, in, enablement is necessary, yep. right? I need, I need my employees to feel enabled. I don't really need them enabled when filling out an expense report. Right. Right. So therefore, I need a process for an expense report. Yeah. But as long as that process exists for the purpose of the flow, in other words, the gate, not the front, it doesn't exist for the purpose of stopping. It exists Correct. for the purpose of organizing how one gets through this. Yeah. Okay. This might be a good point to, uh, to pause, Carlos. So then quick. How do, after all this, we go through the interview process, we make our correct questions, we check the culture, they won. What do we do? How do we report card? Seriously, seriously, walk into it with a mature, with a blank report card, a blank maturity model, right? That says if, if a, a, a zero is I have no knowledge about this thing and a five is this thing works perfectly well and we're masters of that domain, what are the things for that organization and that role that you're moving into? Mm -hmm. Every single one has it, right? So if you're working help desk, it should be um, really quick, right? Like that one should be super easy. How well documented is 
the support infrastructure, like the people I'm going to be supporting and kind of what their environment looks like. Um, how consistent are the methodologies to, to communicate and how well defined is the knowledge base? And are they using a tool that allows you to do more, that, that allows me as a new employee to search, or am I gonna to have to learn a lexicon, lexicon that's specific to the search, right? Um, if you're a leader, right, it should be really a real quick, easy thing to go like, you know, what are the, how well are the systems put together? How well can I find my, my ass from a hole in the ground on day one, right? Things that you can affect, right? A report card needs to be something that you can affect, right? As a, as a, as a, a help desk worker, you affect the knowledge base, right? As a manager, you affect the employee onboarding guide for your team, right? So, like, let's start with some stuff that's simple that you're going to encounter in the first 90 days, right? Yeah. How well does the team communicate and how easy is communication amongst your team members? My day one, my week one is much more relationship centric. So what I want to know is who, where are the power centers in the organization? Who are the ones who actually make the most important decisions? Who are the influencers in the organization? The people who are going to create uh, opinions for those power centers, um, and then who's uh, who's the most important set of people in the value chain to deliver on what I have to deliver on, either individually or as part of my team. If my team is a uh, center of excellence, then in order to deliver my services, who in the broader audience of the organization do I have to influence more in order to deliver more effectively or more efficiently in the services to which I deliver, um, and then build those relationships, reach out, have a conversation. And it, because I'm still in the first week, it doesn't have to be work-related. It can be almost entirely personal, right? I can talk about joining the company, how excited I am. Tell me about you. Tell me about your 30 years. Give me an appreciation for how I can make your life better. Um, and then use that as as input into the maturity assessment as, as Howard was talking about. Well, my friends, there you have it. We started in how to start your new role, but it's important to, before you start that day one, what to do before it, so that day one will start with the correct information, the right strategies, so you can be the best employee that you can be. So as always, make sure that you share this with your team, with your friends, with your family, subscribe to our podcast, or our video podcast, and as always, we'll see you on our next episode.